Thank you for listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We now present an encore presentation of Carmelite Conversations. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We're very excited uh, <clears throat> for this particular program as we begin the introduction of some of the lesser-known saints, Francis, uh, in, in the Carmelite uh, order and in the history of Carmel, but nonetheless, saints who have a wonderful story to teach us. And uh, welcome. It's great to see you again. Oh, I'm excited to be back. Uh, I'm looking forward to our topic tonight, and I'm excited to share about an email that I received. You want to hear about it? I do. Well, I got this email um, from Loretta Gallagher. Uh, she was the MC, the host a hostess of the 2012 OCDS Congress up in Boston that I went to in August, and she got wind of our conversation last week or two weeks ago about the uh, Congress, and she was very excited about it, listened to it, and sent word out. So if any of our Carmelite buddies are out there listening, thank you for tuning in, and thank you for encouraging us here on this program, and um, call in and participate with us with our conversations. I think you're going to like this next one coming up tonight. Well, and I'm going to ask you to go ahead and introduce um, the program and the topic because <clears throat> I, think, uh, I, I think it relates so wonderfully to the Congress and the story you told both uh, to me personally, uh, to our radio listeners a few weeks ago, and also to our community this weekend. You related this story, and I think uh, the linkage, because we'd already agreed to do this particular saint, who we haven't mentioned yet, but Francis is about to, uh, but there's a direct link to the Congress. You want to fill that in for us? Oh, I'd be happy to. Well, you know, up in Boston, it's a harbor town. And so the image of the the ocean, the sea, um, is very important, water. And so Mark and I were talking about as I were was headed up to the Congress, you know, he was uh, telling me, you know, well, what saint are you going to take, you know, with you on this retreat up there to the Congress? And I said, well, I don't know. And he suggested St. Teresa of the Andes. And I says, okay. And so that's who we're going to do the program on tonight. But here is the connection. We get up there, and in the Adoration Chapel that they had set up, on the left-hand side, they had this big picture. I believe it was Our Lady of Trapani. She is Our, Our Lady of Mount Carmel holding the baby Jesus. The scapular is coming from his hands. And in the background is the sea and the fishermen in the boat. And, you know, it's a storm out there. And, of course, Our Lady, Star of the Sea, um, Beauty, Queen of Carmel, is protecting them. And... Um, then in the center was the altar with Jesus exposed and, you know, nets and shells and sand and, uh, you know, uh, all this theme about uh, being at the water, um, at the ocean side or at the seaside. And then on the right, much to my surprise, was this big um, poster framed of St. Teresa of Jesus of the Andes. And in it was the quote is, I believe it was, I have been caught in the divine... I have been caught in the nets of the divine fishermen. And, um, you know, more nets and shells and everything. And I just thought, oh, my goodness. And that's her motto, right? Or, yes. or at least one of the, the uh, mottos that's, attributed to her. Right. Yeah. That's one of her popular sayings. And they had put that, carved it out, and put that on a scroll image underneath that poster. It was so beautiful. And it just set the tone for the whole weekend. Well, and so, um, and here we are. We're going to be talking about her. 
Well, I want us to begin, as we do, of course, each program. Thank you for introducing that um, uh, story and the, the backdrop to uh, Teresa the Andes, who I think is such an important saint, and she's becoming an ever more important saint, and Francis and I were both the beneficiaries of uh, a, a series of texts that were shared uh, with us by Father Daniel Chowning, uh, who's been a guest here before. He uh, um, has uh, also visited our community a couple of times and provided uh, a spiritual direction. But he shared with us a couple copies of different uh, works that we didn't have. I personally didn't have all of the works uh, either um, uh, from her or about her, largely her letters and diaries and so forth. Uh, but uh, we came to discover, have come to discover, I think, very quickly that this is a saint um, for our time. And we're gonna We're going to leave that line out there and then build that story, but let's begin in prayer. Okay, this prayer comes from Juanita. That is Teresa the Andes' name, her birth name, Juanita. And this is her prayer to the Blessed Mother. And it's, a, it's part of the prayer. So, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O oh, Blessed Mother, In seeing you so pure, so tender, and so compassionate, who would not be encouraged to unburden his intimate sufferings to you? Who would not ask you to be his star on this stormy sea? Who is there who would not cry in your arms without instantly receiving your immaculate kisses of love and comfort? If he be a sinner, your caresses will soften him. If one of your devoted ones... Your presence would enkindle the living flame of divine love. If he be poor, you, with your powerful hand, will aid him and show him his true homeland. If rich, you will sustain him with your breath against the dangers of his very agitated life. If one is in affliction, you, with your tearful gaze, will show him the cross and on it your divine Son. Who will not find balm for his pains by considering the torments of Jesus and Mary? The sick man finds in your maternal heart the water of salvation that allows your enchanting smile to blossom forth and makes him smile with love and happiness. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to start this way, Francis, and... um, I know I won't find any disagreement with you on this topic. Um, I think if I were to look for a triad of saints, and I'll say even more specifically female saints in Carmel, um, they would be represented by these three. Um, first, and I think foremost, Therese of Lisieux. Uh, Therese, we've done a program, a series, in fact, on Therese, and she has so much to teach this generation. Uh, what a powerful saint, what a powerful gift to the church and to Carmel she was and is. And we're going to talk uh, again about her in the month of October. Um, Elizabeth of the Trinity would be the second one. Now, of course, she's not a saint yet, but she is a blessed. Uh, but her writings have been uh, highly recommended by no less than John Paul II uh, and a number of other saints from Carmel uh, who were uh, familiar with her and who read her, including Teresa the Andes, who refers to Elizabeth and to Therese. Yes, but, they but, have a uh, lot in common. They do. Um, and and uh, it's not my idea, but nonetheless, I strongly advocate one of the texts that I read saying if you were looking for that triad of, of saints or saintly individuals in Carmel, these three women would represent that. Who not the, the least of which uh, Elizabeth, okay. Therese, 
And Teresa of the Andes. Oh, Teresa okay. Andes. Well, uh, I'm right. sorry, but we have to put, make it a quartet. Oh, who is the quartet? St. <laughs> Teresa of Jesus of Avila. Well, of course. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> but I, I, I'm talking now about, I think, saints who we can reach back to in um, more recent times. Of course, they all grew up roughly in the same time and died roughly in the same time, and each of them young. So they're great patrons, I think, for the youth. Um, they had an intimacy with our Lord, which they... Um, were elevated to very quickly and, of course, passed from this world, each of them, as I said, at a, at a fairly uh, young age. But even in that short period of time, they demonstrate to us how quickly we can reach these intimate depths with our Lord um, if we take the right path, if we focus. And if there's a message about Teresa the Andes beyond the obvious message of love, and that really is her central theme, I think. And joy. And joy, absolutely. <laughs> um, it's this idea of the use of time and making every moment um, uh, part of deepening that relationship that she, she established with the Lord. I want to get into this a little bit, but... Um well, now I know why you were talking about a trio, because you yeah. were thinking of the three young ones. Absolutely. And, of yeah. course, I'm thinking about, oh, you're leading up to the three people she read, which was Teresa of Avila and yeah. Therese and Elizabeth. So. Yeah. No, no. Uh, Teresa uh, uh, of um, Avila certainly would be the mother, right? Um, the mother of these three, the mother of our order, the mother of, uh, of so many great Carmelite saints and others outside the church. You can't pick up any, I think, meaningful literature on prayer and not find a reference right. to Teresa of Avila. But here we have St. Teresa of the Andes, Juanita, mm-hmm. before she went into the convent, was introduced to those three. And so they uh, influenced her greatly because she was about 16 when she began reading them and really right. putting what they said to practice. Yeah. It almost seems a little unfair, to be honest with you, as I reread uh, the book about her, but also started to read her letters, which I had only recently been exposed to. I thought at 16 to have that depth of understanding and uh, um, insight into spiritual matters seems a bit unfair to me. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's taken me very long to get to even to be able to understand. Is there some spiritual jealousy uh, there? <laughs> probably a little bit. I've, I've got to work on that. I, I will say, though, I'm, in, I'm encouraged by, um, speaking of jealousy, that Francis, uh, in sharing the email with me today, uh, said, you know, we've got a really, this is terrific, we've got all these new listeners now, so I wrote back and said, we'll have to raise the bar, and she agreed that I should probably wear a suit to the studio this evening, so, <laughs> right. so I chose to do that, to raise our standards. <laughs> he looks so sharp. <laughs> I wish you could see him. <laughs> well, that'll have to be for the uh, television production that'll come later. <laughs> well, let me ask this, Francis. What is you um, have, I think, perhaps more familiarity with her than I do even. What's the message of Teresa Andes? And me, mainly what I'm getting at is, because uh, I think our listeners would be interested, what made this young girl a saint so quickly? What what brought her into that intimacy with our Lord so quickly? That's really the theme, I think, of the series that we're going to do. Well, that's a tough question. What brought her into the intimacy of the Lord? What What is your question again? Well, no, no, no. It's a general. I'm just stating it as a as a theme. I think that's what we're going to wrestle with over this r- roughly three part series. We may do a fourth depending on uh, on how things go. But um, I, I think that's the theme we want to wrestle with: is what made this young girl, uh, uh, um, you know, um, 
able to enter into that intimate relationship with the Lord so quickly, something that, in fairness, so many of us struggle with over time. Uh, and we've mentioned some of it, but I want to go through her life this evening, this this particular program, and begin to explore, because the details of her life, as is true with any saint, reveal, I think, so much about um, how they dealt with the circumstances of their life and how that led them into that deeper relationship. Well, I have to agree with John Paul II, who said that the secret of her perfection could be none other than love, a great love for Christ and a filial love for the Virgin Mary. And, you know, of all saints, that's that's got to be it. It's got to yeah. be love. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's the purity of that love. You know, this is what we're so challenged with, I think. All of us have some... Uh, experience of love, whether it's for a parent or a sibling, a, a, a spouse, a child, what have you. Um, we've all experienced that on some level, and, and we know uh, that that uh, emotion. But, of course, we're talking about something much deeper than that. We're talking about a purified love, all the impurities In fact, removed. Her, her accent on love is the joy of love. Hmm. And so, but I don't want to reveal all those secrets on this program. We're going to entice you to listen next week when we will approach that in particular. Well, and, and uh, to follow up on that uh, effort to entice, I would say... Um, without reservation. This is a saint, of all the saints I've read, I think this is a saint who most especially is able to speak to the young people of our generation. You know, I have great love for Elizabeth, um, and I think Elizabeth has so much to share. Elizabeth of the Trinity has so much to share. Therese, certainly her childhood nature, makes her um, a great uh, patron for uh, young people. But in a special way, I think this young girl, Teresa of the Andes, really speaks to the youth of our generation. And I think John Paul II saw that, um, and it's one of the things he emphasized about her. Well, she learned the lesson early that the world cannot fulfill your heart, your soul. And and from the testimonies, she writes, um, to offer ourselves to God with love in fulfillment of the adorable divine will. This is the plan of for holiness, I see. Yeah. And so she wants to do God's will. I mean, I know she picked that up from reading Therese. You know, Therese wanted to do God's will, and she wanted to please him, which was, you know, even beyond just doing God's will. It was doing it, you know, because you really want to see him happy. Yeah, and, you know, we talk about uh, a, a sort of a central theme for our program, Francis, is this idea of, well, how can I live this contemplative life as a secular, I know we have religious who listen to us, and I thank uh, God that we do, uh, but how do I live this contemplative life as a secular in the world and combining it with all my responsibilities? And we may say, well, wait a minute, this young girl was a Carmelite. Well, yes, but she was only a Carmelite for the last few months of her life. Right. I mean, she actually spent only 11 months in the Carmel, right. and she uh, took her vows only uh, days before she passed away. And, that because, was, and because she was Because dying, they knew it was uh, inevitable that she right. was going to pass away, and so they let her take her vows. So in fairness, most of what we're going to be exposed to in the life of Teresa of the Andes, is her life in the world. And oh, by the way, um, uh, another, I think, special aspect of her life is she was not someone who grew up in poverty. She actually came from wealth and and uh, uh, considerable 
um, a station in life, and she had a very good education. She had a very good Catholic upbringing. There were some trials in her life, and we'll go through those because I think they're pertinent. But um, this is someone who actually um, lived in a very stable environment and could have chosen, quite frankly, to do anything in the world, uh, but instead used all of what was given to an her in her life um, as a means to go deeper into her relationship with the Lord. So I suppose we should start out maybe when she was born. I think it's always nice to know. (laughs) I mean, she's going to be her death is when she's almost 20. She's 19 point some months old. Yeah, 19 and 9 months, I think Okay, so so this is a very young saint, which which is awesome, um, because it gives us hope that, you know, at any age you can become a saint, and it's not too late for us old folks either, there's still hope for us, and we know that um, St. Teresa of the Andes is helping us. You know, before you go into the details, I just want to give our listening audience a chance. <clears throat> if you've been exposed to Teresa of the Andes, or uh, and you may have a story about her or maybe a devotion to her that you would want to share, or we're just introducing you to her, and maybe there's a burning question on the basis of what we've already shared, we'd love to answer and respond to that. We'd love to have you join the conversation. And so as a reminder, uh, you can reach us at one 866-333-6279. Again, that's one 866 333 Seven nine. Please feel free to join our conversation um, and share any perspective you have on Teresa of the Andes. Francis, let's go through some of that biographical material on her. All right. Well, she was born Juanita Fernandez on July the 13th, 1900. So she's a turn-of-the-century baby into this wealthy, aristocratic family. She was the fourth of six children. Um, one child who died soon after delivery. What I think is unique here is she was born in Chile mm-hmm. um, at the foot of the Andes Mountains. Mm-hmm. Now, what what big... Um, hmm, there is a big tourist attraction there. Uh-huh. <laughs> do you remember what that is? Uh, I, I do. You're talking about the image of Jesus, yeah, yes, over the Andes, right? Yes, yeah. yes. So um, it's a nice connection that we have with St. Teresa of the Andes and that statue. I, I bet there's more coming on that one. But anyway, um, soon after she was born, only two days later, um, she was baptized on the Feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. So we're yeah. always going to have her associated with that feast day because this is like the tritium leading up. Yeah, it, it was the eve of that feast, but yeah, yes. uh, the eve of the Feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. It's already the connection to Carmel, right? Yes. And what's interesting is later on we'll discover she actually wrestled um, with this um, uh, vocation. She felt the call. She had the vocation, but she wrestled with Carmel. Um, and and another option that she had in terms of um, uh, where she uh, f- uh, felt the call to a vocation. It's interesting, too, to note, although we'll talk about it later, uh, there were two Carmels um, that she could have chosen in, um, in general proximity to where she lived, and she ended up choosing the one that was further away. But uh, we'll, we'll talk about that in just a moment. Yes, I think that one was in Santiago, mm-hmm. which is where her birthplace is, and the right. other one, of course, was farther in away. In the Andes, right. Well, she was baptized, as, as Francis said, um, on the eve of the Feast of Our Lady of Mount Carmel. From her youth, she was already seated in a very Catholic culture. Her mother was a devout Catholic. They had a chapel in their own house. Uh, there were a number of priests who were friends of the family. Uh, she was taught her catechism very well. Um, she was taught to read at a very young age. She had a very good education, very well um, 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 
educated for uh, her time and, and certainly consistent with her station in life. And who was it that gave her the education? Do you remember which religious? It was the, was it the Sacred Heart? Sacred Heart, right. Yes. Yeah. And guess what their aim was? To sanctify the souls of their students. Yeah, actually, that is the aim of education, I think, isn't it? <laughs> Something we've Ooh. lost. If you have the ideal situation, it is. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, 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 Cardinal uh, Newman, of course, taught us that. It, it is the aim of education to lead to our sanctification, and uh, we've lost that. Education is not just to create a, you know, a position and a station in life. It, yeah. It's to lead us to, to that intimacy with the Lord. I and think that's, we've got to get back to our primitive exist. roots there, don't you think? I think we do. Absolutely. Okay. Well, anyway, that made a big difference on her because um, they're they're pruning her, and of course, her own family is supporting that. So, um, wow, that's amazing. Now, in that time, she was exposed to this one saying that she um, retained, and it meant a lot to her. It's from Saint Augustine, uh, and it has to do also with the fact that um, you know her vision of living below the the. Uh, the peaks of the Andes uh, presented a perfect image for her on her spiritual journey. Now, to be fair, she wasn't directly below the the uh, Andes Mountains, but they were not far off in the distance, and the travels that the family made, of course, gave her some exposure to them. Uh, St. Augustine said, God made us by himself, but he cannot sanctify us without ourselves. And that was a very compelling message for her, and she retained it, um, mainly in the context that she understood she had a role to play, that her sanctification, which she desired ardently from a very young age, um, was not simply something that was going to happen to her. Um, And we should actually take great consolation in that, because it says we have a role to play. Yes, we have a responsibility, but we can also advance this process. We can engage, if you will, um, in, in, in daily activities that lead to our sanctification, certainly prayer, certainly the practice of virtue, certainly taking advantage of the sacraments. All of these are part of it. But Teresa the Andes went beyond all that. She worked very hard at trying to sanctify every moment of the day. And she did this in large measure by um, practicing something that, though she had not been exposed to it, we don't believe, she understood nonetheless, and that is this practice of the presence of the Lord. Well, something. she would know that from Blessed Elizabeth the Trinity. From Tr- from uh, Elizabeth, she would have been exposed to it, yes. I, I'm referring to the phrase by Brother Lawrence, but she phrased it differently, but the theme was the same. Keeping the Lord with her at all times. She desired, imagine this now, our listeners, please take a moment and think about this. She desired to maintain a constant state of interior recollection, Hmm. regardless of what she was engaged in. And we'll talk a little bit about her life. Um, She was a very active person. She, she, um, though she had some reservations about it, she lived a very active social life. She loved to horseback ride. She loved to read. She went to parties. Uh, her family was socially connected and so forth. Oh, and she was an athlete. And I mean, she was a she, very good she loved, athlete. Right? Uh, besides the horse riding, she loved tennis and swimming. Mm-hmm. And she loved singing and playing the piano. And that was a great connection with the Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. Right. Um, so, so, so she lived a very active life. This is not a young girl who hobbled herself away waiting to go into the Carmel. You know, right. she, she lived... Uh, um, a, a life in the world, very much in the world, very much like Elizabeth of the Trinity, who, um, you know, her mother had been set with some financial well-being, and uh, they were able to attend parties and travel and so on and so forth. But nonetheless, 
Um, they both practiced this deep interior recollection, and it was disturbing to her to find for some period of time that she may have been taken out of it. In other words, uh, an hour or so might go by, and she'd realize, oh, I didn't spend that as well with the Lord as I should have, despite what other things she may have been involved with. And I, I hope, anyway, that some of our listeners uh, wrestle a little bit with that idea. Well, how do you do that? How, how can you maintain that? I mean, I, you know, we've said so many times, Francis, we have real lives to lead, right? We have children to raise and jobs to take care of and other responsibilities. Well, this is a young girl who said, yes, in the midst of all that, you can still practice interior recollection. Yeah, and because she, it's not thinking much, it's loving much. Absolutely. That's right. She transferred all those moments. Even to her studies, and we'll, we'll make this last point just before the break, but um, the way she approached her academic studies, and she was an outstanding student. She was an award-winning student um, in, in um, her um, experience uh, both uh, as a young girl and later um, in her high school years. She would approach her studies um, in such a way that they became an expression of her love for the Lord. Because she saw them as the duty that she was fulfilling for the Lord. He'd given her this opportunity, and she was going to make the most of it. And so she transformed everything she did into an expression of love. And in so doing, was able to maintain with a high degree, I think, of consistency, this interior recollection. And, of course, we know that she was significantly aided in this spiritual journey with her love and devotion to the Blessed Mother. And she lived by that phrase, which happened to be the theme of the Congress in Boston recently, which was, do whatever he tells you to do. Right, right. That was a consistent um, a prayer for her, and she was very devoted to the rosary as well, and she would reflect on that as she read the rosary. Now, just before we do go to the break, I, I want to uh, maybe calm our listeners a little bit and say, uh, you know, we've painted a very idealistic picture of this young girl, uh, but she was not without her faults as well. She was human, after all, and she <laughs> expresses her concern about her own faults, the, the, the two of which were vanity over her own beauty. She was a very beautiful young girl, and she, she struggled with that um, in, in the recognition uh, of her own attractiveness and appeal to other people. And ironically, she struggled with anger, and she talks about that. She uses the same phrase, in fact, that Elizabeth of the Trinity uses over some of these incidences where anger would arise, and she said, ooh, it would make my blood boil. Yes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a great phrase, I guess, to express that. that Maybe it's a musician anger. thing, you think? <laughs> it might be. I don't know. I don't know. You would know better than I, Francis. <laughs> yeah, well, I can so, relate. I can relate. <laughs> so we have a human being here, someone with her own faults and frailties, but nonetheless, she's going to teach us um, how to work through those and to use every moment to lead to sanctification. Well, as we take a break, I want to remind you, you're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We'll be back in just a moment.
Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you're currently listening to is a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations. Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria. We're just taking our seats back from the dance floor as we were listening to that, <laughs> nice that <spin>. wonderful <laughs> music that was uh, being played. Thank you for that. That was terrific. Very uplifting. Well, again, we're talking about Teresa the Andes, um, a, a wonderful saint uh, born just after the, the turn of the century. And um, we were talking about her early life. And, Francis, I know that um, you were particularly taken by the story about her first communion. Let's let's talk a little bit about that. Well, she was anxious to have that first communion, and she get, kept 
being put off, and finally her mother agreed, And um, but there was a condition. She had to have a year of preparation. So when she finally made her first communion, she was 10 years old, and she said that was a cloudless day, the happiest day of my life. And something very interesting happened here. Um, it was sort of like Therese, um, a very special moment where a fusion between her soul and Jesus takes place and she hears Jesus speak to her she says from the time I made my first communion our Lord spoke to me after communion he told me things that I never dreamed of and even when I asked him he told me things that were to happen and they actually happened and now she thinks everybody's experiencing this yes yes so she doesn't understand that this is unusual until uh, a little later but so she has this great grace and of course because of that she is also accountable for how she's uh, going to respond to jesus so that is very helpful to know we should say something about that though in fairness um the lord speaks to all of us doesn't he francis yes in some way or another either through other creatures other human beings or maybe through the readings that we do or maybe through a very intimate um, understanding of what it is that he's communicating to us but the degree to which we can hear him really rests on our openness to that message our ability to enter in as we've said so many times our ability to enter into that silence and i know for myself Uh, when I began to uh, really deepen my own prayer life and try to uh, be more consistent with my practices, I would express concern and frustration that I didn't appear to understand what the Lord wanted me to do, and I wasn't aware of uh, what uh, path he might want me to pursue in a particular um, uh, area where I may have been asking for his guidance. And what I learned more and more, and I'm not perfect at it by any means, but if we're willing to enter into that, Silence. If we're willing to present our case, if you will, with questions, concerns, issues, what have you, but then stop and sit and wait patiently um, and purify ourselves of all those things that uh, so often distract us, then the Lord will speak to us. And and I think she experienced that very early on. Well, I think, you know, she had this desire for him in communion, and she was delayed and delayed delayed, and delayed, and now a year of preparation. It was intense preparation, and of course she is so hungry for him that she is a great student, and, and, and that shows academically as well. And so she was very open. She was very attentive. So we can ask ourselves, when we go up, and receive Jesus in the Eucharist at Mass. Are we attentive? Are we really thinking about his presence coming within us and remaining with us for as long as the species is there until he dissolves, you know? Um, I think they say basically a 15-minute interval. I mean, when you think about the humanity of Christ was in your soul, within you, and, you know, we can offer the humanity of Christ to the God the Father. What a great offering that is. And so here she has this pure soul and this great intense desire, and she does receive him. And and in this way, the Lord decided this is what he wanted to do for her. And, of course, we know that whatever the Lord gives us is what's best for us. So whether it's a natural or supernatural, um, you know, it's God's call. Uh, our job, though, is to respond and be open. 
Yeah, you know, we've asked, uh, or we've had this conversation before where we discuss how so often in prayer, and this is certainly not a, a critique by any means, but it's just an understanding. So often in prayer, we reach out to the Lord and we ask him to come into our life in some way, right? We ask him to give us guidance, direction. We ask him to heal us. We might ask him for something that we really need. These are not... Right. Uh, Show not me the talking, way. <laughs> yeah, I'm not talking about materialistic prayers of any kind, but you know, genuinely seeking to do the Lord's will, but we pray that the Lord would enter into our life. And I think if we were to listen closely, more often than not, the Lord is probably saying to us, enter into my life. Right, The Lord wants us to enter into his life. He wants us to enter into that experience of him where he wants to meet us. You know, one of the great quotes from Teresa of Avila that Teresa of the Andes relied on very heavily, um, she quotes this quite often, uh, St. Uh, Teresa of Avila had said, um, who tells us, God cannot give himself to a soul fully until that soul gives herself fully to him Mm. and that was the the other motto if you will that she lived her life by the recognition that i've got to give everything over to him it's not necessarily as we sometimes misunderstand that i have to detach and dispense with and move away from and stop doing all the things in my life i have to bring them into christ's life i have to bring them into my relationship with the lord i have to let god purify my work, my role as parent, my role as sibling, my role as friend, uh, my responsibilities, how I use my money and, and other things. We have to let the Lord sanctify those things in our life. This is the real challenge uh, of being in the world and yet living the contemplative life. It's the sanctification of all our life. Right. And she didn't have the perfect family. Okay. She, she is getting all this instruction. She's having this, um, incredible grace at, um, communion. But, you know, in reality of her everyday life with family members, I mean, the family members, there were, there were struggles there. You want to share a little bit about yeah. the family members? You know, we've talked so many times about the saints, uh, Elizabeth of the Trinity, who lost her father at a very young age. Seven. Uh, died yeah. in her arms. Yeah. Uh, uh, Therese of Lisieux, who lost her mother at a young age. Four. <laughs> yeah. Well, in this case, Teresa of the Andes did not lose either of her parents, but her father would spend months away, months at a time away from the family. Um, they were... Later on, as she got older, they faced financial difficulties. Now, in fairness, they were a wealthy family, so they were uh, losing some of their um, uh, position, but they were still very well-to-do. And the father, who struggled with these failures, which were largely his own, poor investments and so forth, um, couldn't seem to face either his wife or his children, so he simply dealt with it by being away. And she writes these uh, letters. We'll read some of them in future programs, but she writes these very emotional letters to her father saying, um, I know you have to be away, and I realize business calls you away, but um, it was so difficult being at this gathering the other day, and all the little girls had their father, and you weren't there for me. And I oh. thought, oh. Gosh, what a what a difficulty it must have been for this young girl to look around and know that she had a father. It would almost have been easier, I think, if if she um, had at some point to face the fact, well, my father's passed away, and so you know this is my state. But uh, instead, she had to explain, no, my father is is around. He's just you know hours away, and and you know couldn't make it home for this event. Yeah. Uh, it almost might be difficult, more difficult to deal with that. And here she has a brother who has a very bohemian lifestyle. Kind 
kind of wild out there. Yeah, she had a brother who was a um, a little out there on the edge. He was a little artistic. Nothing wrong with that. He was a poet, uh, but he also had a predisposition to drinking um, and was not particularly devout. By the way, her father, it was later discovered, uh, when he was away from the family for these long uh, periods of time, would not take advantage of the sacraments. He, he simply... Uh, didn't attend Mass and wouldn't go to reconciliation and so forth. So that was very painful for her to recognize that, um, right. that, that, to come to that discovery later in life. And yet she's accepting them where they're at. And in her letters to them or her conversations with them, her, her brother, her father, she is um, loving them and encouraging them with her love. It's so beautiful. Yeah. And then she's got her, her younger sister, Rebecca, um, whom she loves dearly. Yeah, Rebecca, of course, became um, her replacement, if you will, at the Carmel once um, uh, Teresa of the Andes passed away. It was only a few months later that Rebecca um, uh, joined that very Carmel and, and assumed some of the responsibilities that Teresa uh, had taken on. She also had personal challenges, though. She suffered from a great deal of illness as a young child, even though we mentioned she was very fond of the outdoors. She was a horseback rider. She was a swimmer. She was a tennis player. Uh, she suffered an appendicitis at the age of 13 that nearly took her life. Yes, and of course that really changed her perspective. In fact, I think she must have shocked the nurses and the doctors because she was she was ready to go to heaven before the surgery even happened. And of course the surgery, they messed up. I'm not saying, of course, that they messed up, but of, uh, you know, that's part of the story is that, yeah. you know, that they messed up. And so she had some difficulties as a result. Po- post-operative difficulties yes. that almost led to her death. Right. Yes. But I think this helped her gain a more mature outlook. And so that was very important. Um, but through through these experiences, I think she came to accept suffering and, and trial. And in fact, she says something about that in her journal. Well, yes, she did. She says, the Lord told her, if you want to be like me, then take up your cross with love and joy. So then she lists her reasons that drew her to seek suffering. And here they are. There's two of them. She says, suffering pleases me for two reasons. Because Jesus preferred suffering from his birth till his death on the cross. It must be something very great since the all-powerful one sought to suffer always. That was the first reason. The second one, and suffering also pleases me because it is in the crucible of sorrow that souls are formed. And because Jesus gives this gift to the souls he loves the most. Yeah, you know, you said it early on in the program, and I don't want us to lose this point because I think it really is the central theme of Teresa the Andes. Suffering, love, but joy in that suffering, joy in that love. And perhaps better than um, uh, any of the Carmelite saints that we've covered or that we will cover, she really emphasizes that joy, that yes. joy as part of her suffering, and joy certainly as part of her love. Um, she sees the sacrifice and the sacrificial element to it, uh, but but certainly uh, joy is the central theme. In fact, I notice you uh, <laughs> tapping the title of the book, which we should have read early on. Why don't, why don't we offer that? Yes, the title of the book that we're um, reading from, uh, we've gained our material from, is called God, the Joy. Joy of my life, Saint Teresa of the Andes, and it is an I. It's a Teresian Charism Press yeah. from Holy Hill, Hubertus, yeah. Wisconsin. Yeah. Now you can get these online and in some of the better Catholic bookstores. Um, I, I actually found mine online. Um, I don't know if you can get it through ICS or not, but 
Um, but uh, we know uh, Holy Hill has it. Yeah, God, and, and the I do joy know, of my life. I do know it's available online. So and it's got a beautiful picture of her on the front. You just want to look at that, and yeah. oh, it's so wonderful. Yeah, that's the day she entered Carmel. Actually, yes. that picture. Well, uh, no, mistaken. it was beforehand. They took those pictures before they entered Carmel at those times. Well, just before, yeah, just before, right. and um, before she made that profession, um, because they wouldn't allow um, cameras into the convent. Right, right, not into the convent. In fact, I think she borrowed. She borrows the. Uh, uh, the, the yes, you've borrowed the habit. Yeah, the habit that she was wearing. Right. Well, um, she does something else that's quite remarkable at the young age of fifteen. Um, and and uh, do you want to mention that uh, commitment or? I'll, I'll talk oh, about it, where yes. she takes her vow. Yes, she takes a vow of virginity at age 15. That's amazing. Now, she is in a school with the nuns, and she is getting spiritual direction, which you and I have mentioned many times on this program, how important spiritual direction is for those who are um, in desiring to grow in um, the love of the Lord in a very uh, intense way because you want to you want to hurry up because you love him so much you you want to uh, please him and so here she is at fifteen making this vow and um, I well what do you want to add to that uh, um, well on the top of page twenty six I'm going to let you read that okay um, this is what this is the entry in her journal on this vow. Yes, she says, Today, the 8th of December, 1915, at the age of 15, I make a vow before the Most Holy Trinity and in the presence of the Virgin Mary and all the saints in heaven to admit no other spouse but my Lord Jesus Christ, whom I love with all my heart and whom I want to serve to the last moment of my life. So she prepared really well for this. It wasn't just one of those, oh, I think I will because, you know, she's read it in a book somewhere, you know. Uh, and, of course, she has read about it if if she has already been exposed to uh, the story of the soul with Therese. Um, but she understands to the depths of her soul that only Jesus can fulfill her desires. Only Jesus can bring her Happiness and joy. Well, and you emphasize another good point, and that is the preparation. We've talked about this before with regard to our own commitments to Carmel. You know, you don't simply uh, call Francis as the president of our local community and say, hey, I, I want to be a Carmelite now, you know, and I want to um, wear the scapula, and I'd like to have my name in the register, and so on and so forth. I mean, there's a process that's necessary to go through. Individually, we need to take time. We need to enter into prayer. We need to fast. We need to seek the Lord's will for our life, whether it's entering a Carmel, whether it's entering a, a secular community of Carmelites or some other order. Um, we really need to take time and ask the Lord what he wants and not uh, presume that, well, I'm making a commitment to a more religious uh, uh, community or to a more devout life. Therefore, this must be what the Lord wants me to do. She, as we said before, she wrestled between Carmel and the uh, Sacred Heart uh, community that was available to her, and then later even wrestled between the two Carmels that were available to her. But she sought the Lord's will, and she explains in her letters and in her journal how she came about making that decision. You know, it's a point I want to emphasize, too, on the importance of her journal. Um, Her sister, actually, Rebecca, agrees when she enters Carmel to keep her journal uh, for her, 
um, and, and promises she won't open it. But we're so happy that she did, so thankful that she did, because the journal, the spiritual the journal, diary. the diary, mm-hmm. right, um, and the letters, which were written largely to the prioress, they were written to her spiritual confessors, to her siblings, to her parents, and so forth, but also to uh, the prioress, which are probably the richest letters uh, in terms of her spirituality, are so important. And I would encourage our listeners If you're not keeping a spiritual diary or a spiritual journal today, start doing that. Start doing that. I encourage you to do that. uh, Do you do that? Yes, I do. Oh, you do? Wow. You're going to be a saint. No, I'm not. (laughs) Yes, Um, you are. We all want to be saints. (laughs) uh, Well, someday I'll get there. I just probably have this path through purgatory that's going to take a We just might be unknown saints, Mark, but we all aspire to be saints, right? We're we're saints in the making, aren't you? Are you listeners out there saints in the making? hope so. Well, she says something in the journal that's very important. In fact, um, uh, the, the quote um, uh, directly from it is, true holiness, she is fully aware, uh, primarily consists not of our efforts, but in being loved and cherished by God and allowing God to fill our lives with the fullness of his love. So even at a fairly young age when she was writing that, she understood that she wasn't going to work herself into holiness. She was going to engage with the Lord, and she was going to watch and see what work he would do in her. Well, we got to read the rest of that quote. She says, it, it means being conformed to Christ. It means taking on Christ's mind and heart and allowing the Holy Spirit to fill our lives with his divine fruits, which is the unmistakable sign of God's loving presence. It's just like the sun is shining out there on everybody, right? And whether the earth is facing the sun or not, the sun is still always shining. So we can look at the sun and think of God's love is always shining on us. And are we receiving that love? You know, we think so much about what can I do to earn his love? No, 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 no. We should be thinking, oh, fill me, Lord. I'm so weak and little. I need you fill me up and shine on me. Well, and uh, the author of this particular text goes on and says, this is what this young girl did, or rather, this is how, and now I'm quoting from uh, John Paul II's uh, writings about her, the young virgin of the Andes, to quote the words of John Paul II, proclaims to us the beauty and happiness that comes from a pure heart. In a word, she invited and allowed the Holy Spirit to make her a shining witness and model of the holiness of Christ. What a powerful message. So she, Teresa of the Andes, understood, I've got to avail myself of the Lord. I've got to make myself available to him to do the work in me. I'm not going to earn it. It's not something that I have to, um, I certainly have to strive for, but and I have to desire. But it's not a series of steps and achievements, if you will, that I have to get through. It's making myself available. But in so doing, as she becomes less and the Lord becomes more, then so many people saw um, in this young life, in this beautiful young girl, Christ shining through, that light shining through. She says something else in her diary or her spiritual journal uh, that's worth taking note of. I have asked nothing else than to love him, and nothing more, that I, his soldier, follow him till death, but always on the condition that he assist me with his grace. The life of a Carmelite is to suffer, to love, and to pray. And in this I find my ideal. Reverend Mother, Jesus has taught me these three things since I was a young child. What a what a powerful message for a young girl, uh, and what a witness uh, that, that she shares with us. Well, and, and here's another example of how um, she 
practices this. She's uh, got a little bit in here about the um, the national bird of Chile, which is the magnificent condor. And she says that she learned some important lessons from this condor. She says uh, she learned the lesson about rising above the trying and waiting, weighty burdens of life through the love of God. And here's her, her quote. She says, even though birds like the condor have wings and feathers that are heavy, they climb to great heights despite the rains, etc. And in the same way, the soul extends its wings and rises up. And these wings are the love of God. Isn't that amazing? So when we are looking at the birds outside, let us think about uh, raising our souls up to that great love of God, flying to the Lord. Well, uh, and we also, we should also point out, it is not as though she didn't want to do great things. I mean, she, again, she came from a family of wealth, of, of uh, some um, a considerable position in society and so forth. She was extremely well-educated. She'd read the lives, not only of the great saints, but of, of, of significantly accomplished individuals. So she had a great desire to achieve and to, um, uh, to create something special. She simply transferred that into the spiritual realm and said, I want to do what it takes to be a servant of the Lord. But what are some of the models that she uses? And these kind of hit close to home, Francis. We were talking about this on the break. Oh, uh, yes. This this thing about the uh, the flight image. Right. Of course, at this time, around 1903, um, Orville and Wilbur Wright made their first successful air flight at Kitty Hawk in North Carolina. And here in Dayton, Ohio, we have this great Air Force Museum and Kitty Field. And we have, <clears throat> you know, an imitation of the original uh, uh, plane. Because, of course, they hail from here. Yes. Burn over, right? Yes. And she's seen, she, she had seen an airplane taking off. Yes. And, oh, what an image that was for her. This was very exciting for her. And this, this event inspires her. She now wants to do uh, great things like these giants, like the Wright brothers or Charles Lindbergh. Yeah, and she mentions those in her journal. She actually identifies those individuals and says, I want to do great things like them. I, you know, this is the era of invention, of course, yeah. in the early turn of the but century. But how's she going to do it, Mark? you got to yeah. tell us. How's she going to do it? Well, there's a quote uh, that she was familiar with by Jean Guiton uh, from the Sorbonne, who was a poet and a philosopher. And uh, Jean asks whether it takes more daring and courage to journey into even outer space or whether one must be be just as daring, even more so, to enter into and become what uh, is referred to as a cosmonaut of the spirit. I love, I love that. that quote. Yeah, cosmonaut of the spirit. Everybody remember that. <laughs> and journey into the infinite depths of our spirit, braving all spiritual trials to find the God who is absolutely infinite, like we hear about space. And of course, we know all of what God created teaches us something about the world here, uh, where we just... Um, uh, honored uh, another um, um, favorite son of Ohio, Neil Armstrong, um, who gives us such a great uh, uh, you know story about uh, traveling into space. We have this idea of the cosmonaut and her desire to, to accomplish things on that level. And I'm thinking of when my son was little, he'd watch Buzz Lightyear, and that the motto of Buzz Lightyear was to infinity and beyond. So let's just add to that to God the Father. You know. Well, maybe thankfully we're not going to have time. In 
in this particular program to talk about the passing uh, of Teresa the Andes. Maybe it's best that we don't. I will say this, and I would encourage our listeners to come back because there's a remarkable series of stories, events that occur around at the time of her death and immediately following her death that were really uh, quite stunning and, and uh, took um, um, the, the uh, spiritual world, I think, a little bit by surprise. Uh, certainly those who knew her um, were, were very taken by the events that occurred. So come back next week and listen as we continue this story of Teresa the Andes, one of the great saints of Carmel. And Francis, we're would you close us in prayer? Yes, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is inspired from the words of Cardinal Sodana at her canonization. St. Teresa of Jesus of the Andes, young, discast Carmelite nun, in your springtime fervor and love, take us by the hand to climb the mountain of Christ and to safeguard the summits of hope, the horizon of the Most Holy Trinity. Amen. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. God bless. You're listening to Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. The program you just heard was a rebroadcast of Carmelite Conversations.